Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. The thing about the value of distributed energy, it will be higher than the retail rate at certain times, which sends market signals to prosumers to dispatch energy during those high compensation times and helping the grid and utility in the process. It also bakes in some of those green attributes into a formula that's more fairly, I should say, than many of the arbitrary rec markets. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors, and happy Thursday. I'm so delighted, as usual, to have you tune in yet again to explore the career and lessons learned from clean energy executives who inspire and inform us, and hopefully informs your journey and your growth. If you're new to Suncast, welcome to our tribe. I hope you'll find this information helps you enter through that side door and bypass some of the hard-won life lessons you'd otherwise have to learn yourself from hundreds of our guests. If you are new and didn't yet check out this week's Tactical Tuesday, highly recommend you go back and take a look at that. It's often a deep dive that will give you a whole lot more information that you otherwise probably didn't have about how the industry works. Today's entrepreneur is a longtime internet friend and member of our Suncast tribe, Mr. Eric Posse, better known for his role as Chief Development Officer at Impact Power Solutions, one of the well-known EPC and DevCos in the Minnesota and broader Midwest markets. Eric has been instrumental in developing the community solar infrastructure for that state, and in particular for the Community Solar Gardens Initiative within Impact Power Solutions, or IPS as they're known regionally. He foresaw the community solar boom in the region, and since becoming Chief Development Officer in 2016, has helped IPS grow revenues by more than tenfold. He's the author as well of an upcoming book called Clean Wave, A Guide to Success in the Green Recovery. I hope that you'll take a chance in September when this book hits to get a copy. You'll enjoy getting a sense of the past, present, and future of clean tech, and there's also some actionable solutions for job seekers. As I understand, there's also a somewhat mild uh, cameo by yours truly in the book as well. Before we jump into the episode, I got to say, if you love this kind of content, I'd hope that you would check out more than 280 other additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com and do sign up to receive notifications when our episodes or events, all kinds of other goodies we've got for you drop. But for now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Warriors, let's jump into it. Today is going to be a fun conversation. As I mentioned with my friend Eric Posse, Eric's Chief Development Officer, Impact Power Solutions. And I'm stoked to finally have you on the show today. Eric, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Nico. First off, I, I do want to say thank you for having me on and opening your platform to talk with your listenership. Uh, as you mentioned, I've been a longtime fan of the podcast and your content, so I am thrilled to be here. Absolutely, man. Thrilled to have you as well. And uh, a lot of serendipity over the years. Uh, you and I, just sort of the folks, folks that we know mutually and the ways that we've been able to support one another. And I always knew from the moment that I saw the notification pop in that you had joined the Suncast tribe, thank you for that, that we'd find a way eventually to get your story 
into the the canon of of Suncast episodes. I think that you've got a great story. I'm looking forward to telling it today. You guys have done some uh, amazing work in the Midwest. You're located in Minnesota, as I understand it. You're up uh, in the northern part, right? Yeah, we're uh, based out of the Twin Cities, but do work regionally and and are starting to do more work nationally. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, you've been with this company since 2007. We'll get a bit into the story of that, but that that roughly correlates as well with my own journey in the solar industry. I'm always eager to hear other people's experiences, but I'd like to start out a little further back than 2007. Who was your hero growing up? Maybe said a different way. Who'd you most want to be like? I'd have to say my hero or heroes growing up are my grandparents. And the reason for that, my mom was a single mom in her 20s. I had been originally born in Oahu in the North Shore uh, of Oahu. And um, when, when they split, we didn't have very much in terms of resources as a family, but they, my grandparents especially always made it feel like we had more than enough. And they're some of the most fun and kind people that you'll, that you'll ever meet. And in the section you mentioned my book upcoming, I actually talk about my grandfather who in his late 70s joined our sales team and helped to develop community no solar. Are you yeah, serious? so that if that is an inspiration, I don't know what is. That is so awesome, man. You often hear like the second half. That's like the the last quarter. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool, man. Goal line, your your grandfather's goal line response to climate change. Absolutely. <laughs> well, tell me in that regard, I mean, we've talked a bunch about IPS. Uh, I don't believe that it's your entire professional career. Maybe it is and I'm wrong, but give us a sense then your first exposure to, in this case, solar power and how you decided this is where you're going to focus so much of your career. I went to college in kind of the early mid 2000s and graduated um, kind of at the tail end of uh, 2006. And at that time, an inconvenient truth had come out and I think like a lot of folks, I was, I was floored, especially by the science and math. Uh, and it was undeniable to me, at least, and, and frightening. Sea level uh, rise in particular is an issue that's, that's still important to me. Um, my dad, I didn't mention him at the beginning, but uh, he was an immigrant from a small uh, island nation in the Pacific called Tonga. And there um, on his home uh, island, the average height is only about 10 feet above sea level. So thinking about his culture, uh, my culture, which is at risk for climate extinction and caused by something that is absolutely not their fault is, is, isn't acceptable to me. And that's why I continue to fight for climate justice when I can. Coming out of college, I did my research, um, solar and wind we're on a 40% year-over-year growth curve, and solar is still holding true to that. And so I reached out to dozens of organizations as I was graduating, and IPS uh, was the only one to call me back. What? That is unreal. The only one to call you back. Well, it actually speaks to something that I've seen just time and time again. It's a a perennial problem in our industry. When I got into the industry, I'll never, ever forget. I was a grad student. That's just a gentle aside here. You've probably heard this story a couple of times if you've listened to a lot of Suncast stories, but I kind of co-founded the solar division of a company called Blue Line Power that was at the time focused on a bunch of different things. But I'll never forget the founder, Ed Bless, said to me, I said, what is your differentiating factor? And he said, we answer the phone. And we call people back. <laughs> and I said, nice. I'm sorry, but I'm asking what your defensible strategy is. And he goes, 
clearly you haven't been much time in the solar industry. We answer the phone and we call people back. <laughs> I love it. And I was just, I was, I remember just having that reinforced month after month, year after year in this industry. It blows me away. The number of people who don't answer the phone, who don't call people back. Do what you say you're going to do. I mean, that's a, a tenant that, that people need to live by for sure. It really is. It's a value in this, in this case, right? So I'm going through a couple of values, um, exercises with some of my clients and, and indeed with Suncast. And I'm reminded of Tim, Tim Davey, one of the, one of my mentors, founder of Davey Roofing, which was a very well done, well-known um, roofing company in California at one time. One of the core values of his company was do what you say you will do. And I will never forget going through the training where that was presented. What are the core values? Do what you say you'll do is the very first one. And they drove it home every day. And I recently came across an explanation of values because every now and then you do that, you go back and say, what are people talking about around what values are? <laughs> and the really simple explanation was decision principles, right? Like it's how you make decisions. It's a series of tenets about your company, like honesty, <laughs> show up on time that are decision-making principles within the company that guide how you, as an employee, make decisions based on what you know the company strives to be and do. That's really good. So straight out of college, IPS hires you. Do you enter at the bottom and work your way up? Yeah, exactly. And it's pretty easy to work your way up when um, there are only like, you know, six people at the company, but that's, that's kind of what happened. I was hired for a sales role. And in college, I graduated with a marketing and entrepreneurship management degree. The one thing that I absolutely despised and did not want to do was sales. Uh, and of course, I landed uh, in that position. It was the only one open. So I said, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to try this commission only um, sales, by the way, Go, going into a, a recession, uh, which you know we, we obviously didn't see at the be, beginning of 2007. Started out doing sales work and I actually got some experience on the crew as well. And, that, and I think that that's a valuable experience that hopefully more people can, can, can do. Uh, it taught me a lot about what goes into a, a solar array, a solar system. I did solar thermal installations, which, you know, who, who remembers that? And carrying ballast block across roofs. And it just gives you a different, uh, different appreciation um, of, the, of the industry. So we started in the basement of a, of a warehouse and the air quality was, was terrible. Um, doing mostly off-grid solar, small residential, very small uh, commercial systems. I remember when I started, I, I, I was working on the biggest solar array in Minnesota, which was uh, 40 kilowatts. Going through those uh, those times, it was it was you know it was it was rough um, the first the first year. Yeah, I think I think that we uh, and by we I mean like there is a cohort of us that started 2006, 2007, 2008 who have those stories. Like my, I often tell the same story. We did the first fully solar powered newspaper in the country, 32 kilowatts. We did the first uh, PPA in Monterey County. 40 kilowatts, right? It's like, it's like today, today's world, that's a large residential system. It's a different, it's a different world that we live in. And um, actually there's uh, another interesting story. So we did, uh, which was at the time I had just joined when we commissioned the system. It was the largest solar array west of the Mississippi or something crazy like that. Or maybe it was east of the Mississippi. So one of those uh, commercial array and the panels were donated by Jigger Shaw when he was at BP. No way. Um, and it was uh, so different to what the utility would allow us to do that we had to do the entire thing off grid 
This is the 40 kilowatt? This was 33 kilowatts. So we, we usurped that by seven kilowatts, a massive seven kilowatts to do the 40 kilowatt system. But yeah, it, it's just, it blows your mind to think back at what we were doing back then versus today. You made a good point, and I think this is lost on lots of folks who just jump into the industry these days. Back in the day when we joined, and I'm not, I don't want this to be a back-in-the-day type of episode, but I don't know anyone who joined a solar company in 2006 to roughly 2009 that didn't get some training, even if it was through the Pacific Energy Center at PG&E in California or like some online thing around system sizing. As a sales team, for the most part, you didn't have a dedicated engineering team. You had to kind of figure it out on your own. And we all had to know how slot A goes into, or tab A goes into slot B. And I think that's a lost art in the industry when now, I mean, thankfully, we have software that does it for you, but people lean so heavily on the software to achieve scale that they are poor customer advocates because they don't understand mm. how it works. Very true. Yeah. And, and, um, to that point, I, I remember the first job I ever sold was a two-panel hot water system to a couple in West St. Paul. And we, uh, or I should say I, um, pulled together a rendering because, mm. it, you know, you didn't have renderings back then yeah. on Microsoft Paint. So I took yeah. a photo, <laughs> put it through Microsoft Paint. It's like, here's what your roof is going to look like. Today, it's, it's obviously an entirely different world. We could reminisce a lot. I remember one quick story, but I'm sure you have your story of like the first time you saw a SketchUp demo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when and like your mind was blown. Blown. Yeah. I'll never forget. Same guy, uh, Ed Bless. I said, "So how do we do drawings and permit packages?" And he goes, "Oh, drawings are easy." And he pulls up an Excel sheet. He had an, a template Excel that was one pixel by one pixel, and that's how that's how he quote measured a rooftop to see if the panels would fit because he had figured out exactly how many pixels a BP one eighty panel was. Yeah, that's great. Unbelievable. And then, yeah, uh, yeah and then I've like you actually gone through the entire process soup to nuts of pulling my own permit and installing a project. Like I sold it. I pulled the permit. I installed it. I called for the inspection. I hired the subcontractor license uh, electrician to come and like check our work. <laughs> so, oh man, fun days. Well, I'm curious, yeah, actually yeah. one thing that I'm curious about, I'm curious what within the context of a career path, since you just jumped right in out of college, I'm curious if there were things that you thought that you would do that you didn't like what career path did you not take but you always thought you would i love this this question and it's gonna be very reminiscent to some of your other guests but one thing that i would i was a struggling musician coming out of college and uh, i had uh, grandiose ideas of you know being a rock star i was going on tour on and off tour and mainly not on tour but I think that had situations been different, you know, I, I might have gone uh, into music full time. I was close to, to minoring in music in college, and I had always thought, oh man, maybe I'll maybe I'll be like a music producer or something, uh, do both business and and music. But I think there's pretty strong parallels between musicians and and folks in the clean energy, like math skills and communication. So it didn't work out that way. And um, honestly, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy where, where I'm at today. Well, there's a reason the Solar Battle of the Bands exists. Exactly. For anyone who's listened to, as you have, like the old school Suncast episodes all the way back, like my part two episode, Dan Sugar, I was actually sitting in his office and five minutes before we started the interview playing his custom PRS that just sits mm. in his office all the time. And he was like, oh, you play? Dude. And he literally, like, he wouldn't start the interview without 
putting it around my neck. Part of it is Dan Sugar's personality. He was like, this kid just said he plays guitar. I'm going to see. So I played a, like a Jimi Hendrix riff and he was like, okay, <laughs> good. And I was a music minor. There's so many things that you discover in the interview process that they're not borne out in normal conversation. That, and this is one of the things I love about this platform. You know, you and I've been friends for God, two years now. I didn't know that you had a music background. You clearly know that I do, but it's obviously been covered here. But that's so funny because I minored in music and I was definitely going in the music industry. It was the hardest decision of my life to choose to build a solar company over running an existing organization where I would have made a lot of money being in the music industry for the rest of my life. Wow. The whole question around what you say no to, I think is an important reflection point. And we're at a period, and we're going to talk about this, I think, in this episode, but we're at a period in, in our culture and the zeitgeist of our culture where everyone's being forced to address what should I say no to. You've got one of those uh, amazing stories that there are thousands like you and I. Frankly, I, I left my startup and went on to work in uh, higher levels of corporate world and sort of always wanted to get back to that dream of entrepreneurship where I had joined a very small team, one guy, and helped him grow his company. You joined a very small team, six people, and now 15 years later, looking at nine-figure business that is just crushing it and expanding beyond your region. What do you consider to be the most important skill that you learned over the last 15 years growing IPS? And what did you do poorly over that time that if you go back, you'd do differently? Perseverance is the most important skill to learn as a solar company. And I think you know why, right? Mm. It's, it's <laughs> the coaster, the constant solar coaster that we're on. Um, there were times I thought the business would be done. We were, we were down to three people back in 2012, wow. um, the, three, the three principles. But we kept fighting. And, and I kept hustling, uh, doing side gigs at that time. I was a USGBC lead consultant. And so I took some time to certify buildings in Chicago. Um, I developed a few solar projects in Hawaii. I think the one thing that I did poorly... Um, that I would do differently is when I started in sales, I, I thought everything was about teaching or, or convincing the client that they should do, they should buy something. And what I learned uh, over the first few years, and I wish I would have learned it earlier, is that it's not about uh, persuasion. It's, it's about being genuinely interested in the success of other people. And so when I, when I learned that, um, then, you know, things started to change. And I think that was something that I didn't do well at the beginning. I'm not sure I fully understand what you mean by the difference or the, the different angle that you're looking at the problem. So you said it's not about persuasion. It's about being genuinely interested in the success of other people. How does that translate into how you communicate with both clients and team members about the sales? Yeah, it's so it's less, it's less, centered around the salesperson, right? It's not my goal to convince you of something. My goal is to understand what your problems are and who you are. If my solution is a great fit and I, and I genuinely believe that, the sales process takes care of itself. Um, and I think it's less about being pushy and more about, again, finding a win-win a, a for your client. And, and certainly solar... Energy brings in the third one, which is the, the climate as well. Here's a question for you, because you and I have seen the rise and fall of a number of different sort of sales tactics. The industry's changing, and, and we've got new entrants coming into the industry. And what you're pointing to is an authenticity in the sales process that belies a lot of one-to-one customer-facing sales. 
How does this translate or even square with the click funnel generation that we are often faced with now that prefers as little interaction as possible with the lead, not a human, uh, and, and sort of funnels them through to a phone call, which if it's being managed properly, must be executed with uh, high efficiency to get through 40 of them in a day. And I, I'm not um, disparaging necessarily that approach. I think when you've got high volume, um, typically residential businesses where you need to churn um, in order to, to, to be successful, mm-hmm. that may be one thing, but certainly in the B2B space, it relies on relationship building and you're never going to close a megawatt sale in, you know, a 30 minute meeting. Right. I mean, you've got to engender trust with um, your counterparties and walk them through kind of a delicate process. And, and I think the only way to really do that with the authenticity is to, to keep your, your prospects best interest in mind, regardless of um, your interests. You guys have done resi all the way up to utility scale, namely like all the community growth, community solar growth in the Midwest is essentially small, small utility. Nobody really talked about Minnesota as a market until community solar became a thing. You know, I mean, seven years ago, Jeff Stenrick and a, a few others in the region created the Midwest Solar Expo to begin gathering folks around this topic. It wasn't really a region that most, it was flyover country. Nobody was thinking about, uh, you know, community solar, let alone like the huge single axis tracker projects in the frozen tundra. What do you think is fundamentally different about the way you guys had to grow a company in the Midwest that your peers in larger coastal markets didn't have to consider or deal with? The largest factor, in my opinion, has been the, the energy prices, right? So low energy prices in the Midwest, the commercial and industrial rates range from five to 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So we needed a good policy in order to create markets, um, which we got in the 2013 Solar Jobs Act. And that created the near gigawatt uh, scale community solar market in Minnesota. And advocacy was extremely important at that time. And I remember canvassing, passing out flyers at events, phone banking with the Sierra Club and other organizations. It taught me a lot about grassroots organizing and the fundamental need for public engagement in order to affect change. And I think that that's, you know, obviously a lot different than 40 cents a kilowatt hour rates in places like Hawaii. So put me back in place here in time. 2013, you've been doing this now for six years. You're, uh, you know, just cresting the uh, end of your 20s, getting into your 30s. How did you become aware that this 2013 Jobs Act was a thing you need to lean into? Who was driving it? Where did, where did you get that information? And why did you decide, if not me, when? Who, if not now, when? So there was a coalition of about 12 or 15 um, NGOs that were spearheading policy. And it was directly related to, at that time, there was a Democratic House, Senate, and Governor so a lot of the enviros had been waiting for kind of the right the right moment to propose new legislation, and so I think the, the group was being spearheaded by uh, local um, policy powerhouse uh, Fresh Energy. There's quite a bit of work in the in the Midwest, um, and and so they the the climate was right, so to speak, for for change, and um, when. 
the kind of newly ish formed Minnesota Solar Energy Industry Association and the Minnesota Renewable Energy Society and other uh, NGOs um, really got behind the the legislation. I, I knew that um, you know we, we've got to create each of us in general have to create our own future instead of waiting for something to happen. So. Um, that was my, that was the moment. And, um, it turned out to, you know, create a billion dollar industry in Minnesota. Well, you've had a chance to be on the both sides of the aisle on a bunch of, uh, hot button topics, I'm sure as the market has exploded beyond you guys wildest dreams. And you've been able to ride the wave of that to the success that you now enjoy, right? Nearly bankrupt side hustle, trying to figure out in 2013, what to do to one of the hottest companies in the Minnesota market, 2016 chief development officer of a company that's on its way to eight figures in revenue. What do you believe to be true that most people might disagree with you on? I might not get a lot of friends from this, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I think net metering is a crutch and not the best method for compensating solar owners. I do think that there are, are more fair ways to do this via value of solar or value of distributed energy resource calculations. And something I've been thinking about lately, and this was brought up by one of your guests and a friend of mine, uh, Jason Edens. Oh, I knew you were going to bring in Jason Edens. He's a fellow Minnesotan, very real theory that he brought up about what he calls the energy gap, where homeowners with means and organizations with good credit can adopt solar. They receive retail net metering. And while under-resourced communities and others can't afford to install solar, solar owners create wealth for themselves and energy renters are stuck with inflating prices as the utilities fixed costs are more disproportionately levied on them, thus widening the, the energy gap. And I think that the thing about the value of distributed energy, it will be higher than the retail rate at certain times which sends market signals to prosumers uh, to dispatch energy during those high compensation times and helping the grid and utility in the process. It also bakes in some of those green attributes into a formula that's more fairly, I should say, than many of of the arbitrary rec markets. Yeah, controversial indeed. We just did the episode uh, not too long ago with Catherine Morehouse and Glenn Brand on the current petition before FERC. So it's a very divisive argument and topic right now. I'm interested to see what others think about this because we're there are those camps like the Soul United Neighbors yep. who say no way can't take our right net metering away. You bring up a very good point. If we did take it away, what other market mechanisms could we deploy that show equity? in the marketplace to give back and value of solar rates don't i mean they could be higher than the retail rate and and what i'm thinking and what i'm saying is it it certainly will be at certain times of day there's just more equitable ways to do it i think you know net metering is kind of a function of the 90s right when we didn't really have good answers we can calculate and we have the data to support a more nuanced structure moving forward for those who missed it, Jason Edens is the founder of Real, <laughs> two R's, mm-hmm. uh, and his episode published a little over a year ago, late June 2019. What's really interesting, and I would encourage folks to go back and listen to this episode 166, is that we talked about Jason's very clever strategy to generate annually the amount to pay for Trump's $5 billion border wall by exactly the mechanism that... Eric is referring to here. Uh, I'm really glad that you brought Jason back into the panorama. I feel like that's one of those episodes that 
far too few Suncast faithful and uh, and our probably our new listeners never got a chance to really dig into, but just a uh, really clever and insightful interview and, and entrepreneur. Thank you for talking about that. The Suncast Career Summit kicks off on September 1st as a first-of-its-kind virtual event exclusively focused on promoting diversity and inclusiveness in the clean energy industry. This event is for job seekers and hiring managers alike. You can engage with industry leaders, attend workshops tailored to practical advice, learn specific strategies in group and one-to-one settings, and develop a game plan for success. Learn more and recommend a friend at suncastcareersummit.com. Hey, for my commercial solar warriors out there, do you sometimes feel like prospects are treating you like a dollar per watt commodity? Instead of a race to the bottom, why not add more value to your proposals by including DemandX load flexibility software from Extensible Energy? You can use intelligent AI software to monitor solar production and shift the usage patterns of HVAC and other flexible loads. The result is increased savings on energy charges, demand charges, time of use charges, and that makes you and your proposal stand out from the crowd. Who doesn't want that? You can learn all about DemandX and how you can include load flexibility software as part of your proposals at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. And as a bonus, you'll get free load flexibility analysis, sales training, and info on how you can even white label DemandX for your solar company. So go ahead. Stand out with DemandX from Extensible Energy. So one thing that I like to explore as we talk a lot about careers lately as well, uh, I think that there are a lot of new, um, there's a lot of cachet around the new corporate titles. Uh, you certainly wear one, the chief development officer. Um, obviously, when you take on a role as a partner or a principal and you need to sort of explain others what you do, you search for what's the right name? What's the right, what do I put on my mm-hmm. business card more than anything? What have you learned about the work of a chief development officer that might be informative or helpful to those who might be thinking about where they could fit into the industry or how they could grow within a solar or broadly clean tech company? Yeah, moving from sales to business development was a little bit of a leap for for me. I can admit that I am much more comfortable in tactical setting of establishing meetings, talking with clients and closing projects and moving on. Business development inherently is further out and more ethereal in nature. And so what I was good at at sales didn't necessarily translate over to business development, which is really about creating markets. And so much more policy-focused a lot more nuance to building coalitions and building consensus and then um, creating space for new business. And so that relationship piece is something I'm, I'm work, I've, I've worked hard on. Um, and then also, you know, the policy side, understanding how bills are, are put together and, and how, to, how to work alongside utilities instead of trying to be on, on opposite ends. It's a much more nuanced approach than just, you know, emailing a bunch of people and then you know, hoping to close a, a sale. Yeah, I'm often thinking about the archetypes or the prototypes for folks that would say, yeah, but I just don't know where I would work if I got into clean energy. I know you've thought about this a bunch. We're going to talk about it in just a moment about your book. But who are the types of like what's, who's the avatar of someone that would come from outside of the industry and grow into or take a, a CDO role? 
I think in order to be successful in a chief development officer role or a development business development role, you certainly need to have analytic skills where, um, so if you were coming from retail, for instance, you'd be well equipped to understand a new store could be located and you've got data and, 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 and information to back that up. Um, I think you'd be good at, at building internal communications and, and consensus around making decisions where um, you, you may have a lot on the line, certainly with, you know, potentially going back to that uh, retail example, opening a new store, for instance. So I, I do feel like it's almost like any, any position in, in clean energy, certainly there are alternate roles in, in other industries where you can transfer your skills relatively easily. And I think, you know, the, the business development side that is, is no different. The other thing about the business development realm is that you have to be extremely entrepreneurial. There's a, a story that comes to mind of how um, that manifests itself um, within my career. So in 2012, we were just getting beat up in the marketplace. Uh, other people were, 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 were developing financing mechanisms that we just couldn't compete with. So we had to take a hard left. I having no financial background myself, uh, kind of went up the learning curve and created a program for the company. And I think it's those types, those types of having that entrepreneurial spirit that actually creates and opens up opportunity. And so uh, what we did with that in, in 2012, started working with a lot of school districts specifically, and that turned out to be a really smart move because at the advent of Community Solar, we went back to those same schools and said, hey, we were only able to cover 5 to 10% of your energy bill on your roof. How about getting to 100%? So we created that trust factor with them um, where we were able to grow those relationships over time. Um, and so, yeah, chief entrepreneur or chief uh, development officer is very um, much an, an entre- entrepreneurial venture. You know, given that you weren't the founder of the company, jumped in as a youngin from their perspective and had to bootstrap a lot of things. You've learned along the way a lot of entrepreneurial lessons. I wonder if uh, you might have advice for other entrepreneurs currently in the throes of startup life. Where I think entrepreneurs can succeed is as, as quickly as you can get your, your case studies and your key clients as early as possible and make sure that they're happy. We went through this exercise in, in, in community solar when, you know, we had, we had competitors that said, Hey, you know, they've got zero experience. You know, you can't trust them. They've only done this. They've only done that coming from, you know, larger organizations from the coast. And we just, you know, kept our heads down and worked hard and got our first, you know, couple of clients in that space and had success with, with them. And were able to turn those into case studies that spoke to kind of the next generation of, of clients. And so for entrepreneurs, you know, it's so important to, to go from zero to one. And obviously that's the main challenge, but nurturing those, those early customers and making sure they're extremely happy is, is, uh, would be my advice. Such sound advice. I love the nod to Peter Thiel there on zero to one. We'll get to your book recommendations in a minute here. You know, I wonder, did you have someone mentoring you or sort of pouring into your life that gave you that insight? Or was that something that you discovered along the way, kind of sort of found your way into? 
the thing about IPS early on is none of us, I was the only one with a business degree and none of us really knew what we were doing. A lot of those lessons and a lot of what I talk about in the book are hard earned. Um, and, and we went, we took our lumps, you know, certainly as it relates to, to, um, growing the business, a lot of the, the, the stories, and, and you mentioned yourself, um, you know, providing content as well, people will find something to take away from, from each of these discussions, um, within the book. And so certainly, uh, you know, we talk about entrepreneurialism and then we also talk about, you know, if you're, if that's not your path and, and a more traditional path is, is kind of where you see yourself headed. There's, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of information in there for you, for you as well. I think that your experience tracks with that of many of us in the industry, like you have been trained in the school of hard knocks. And as such, with 15 years experience, get certain knocks on the door in your case, probably as mine, it's a couple of week at least, but folks saying, how do I get in the industry? We just spent a fair amount of time talking about the roles that you've occupied. How have you begun to think about your role in the industry of helping folks transition into the industry? And why don't we use this as also a way to introduce some of the content of the book that you've created, Clean Wave, and uh, you can talk a bit more about that if you want. But generally, what advice do you share and how are you currently thinking about sharing it with regards to folks who are exploring getting into clean energy as a career transition? So I think about this kind of next phase of my career as a way to, to give back. Certainly, I'm still focused on, on IPS, but the advent or, or genesis of the book came about in a way where like many of your listeners, I was hearing consistently from people in my network, hey, can I buy you a coffee? Or I want to learn more about what it is that you do and what clean energy is. You have 30 minutes to talk about it. Uh, What options are available to somebody new to the industry? And so coming out of that, I created kind of a, a list of resources, which ended up as a skeleton for the for the book which addresses those questions. Um, It's about 190 pages. Everything that a prospective job seeker or somebody that's interested in the industry would want to know from the past, present, and future of clean tech, career paths, words of wisdom from yourself and and others like Jigger Shaw, Jake Rosemarin, and some of your other previous podcast guests. I still still meet with uh, and discuss topics with people from time to time um, because I feel like it's one way to pay it forward. But for all those other instances where it just doesn't work out, CleanWave is a, is a resource for them and anyone else who's interested in joining us on the incredibly rewarding ride that is uh, clean energy. So my you know, specific advice for, for a lot of folks in the book is to learn about the intersection between a lot of the, the industries within clean tech, which would include advanced batteries, Electric electrification of the heating industry, electrification of the auto industry, uh, clean energy, and understand kind of where you see yourself and what what drives you and what what makes you passionate, and then finding your way into the networks and into into the space where influencers are who can help you find a, a career path and help you hone um, your own you know core competencies and, and understanding how can you bring value to organizations. And if you're entrepreneurially minded, um, kind of the, the lessons learned from, from entrepreneurs. And, and so, you know, there's certainly specific, specific information that, that a lot of people will find helpful. 
That's amazing. Well, you are a treasure trove of advice, and I know a lot of folks come to you. I'm curious who you go to. And one of the things I'm pondering here is one of your previous answers where you talked about zero to one. Obviously, we talk about books. We'll get Mm -hmm. there in a minute. There's the School of Hard Knocks. And then there's what I've tried to curate for listeners of Suncast, which is a mentor. It's too bad Tim Ferriss stole Tribe of Mentors because I really do (laughs) believe that 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 fits really well with what we've always said is the Suncast Tribe. Mm -hmm. I've tried to curate a Tribe of Mentors for those who don't have them. I never had the mentors I wanted uh, or that would have benefited me. And as I look at folks' lives who excel, one of the fundamental catalysts in their life is a mentor. I'd love to know if that's true for you or if you, kind of like me, always seemed to have to learn it in the school of hard knocks, take longer than it should have. And if you did have a mentor, were there any key lessons or takeaways from them that you'd share with us? Yeah, certainly kind of over the last 10 years and 13 years, really, there, there haven't there was no roadmap for myself or for, for many of us. And so having a mentor just wasn't necessarily in the cards. I think that moving forward, we, we all do have, we all have a responsibility to, to give back as mentors. And certainly for folks that have been underrepresented in, in our industry, which would include women and people of color. And so I'm, I'm really applauding your, your upcoming summit and and how we can help to integrate more a more diverse workforce within uh, the clean energy industry that's something I'm, I'm very passionate about well before we return third base here and head into home i'm curious what you're seeing from the vantage point of uh, one of the preeminent epcs and developers in the midwest that is happening in the midwest what corners are you looking around where are your eyes focused i think We've been very um, involved in, in community solar. I do feel like that market is in the midst, uh, early early stages of, of change. We've been the recipient of you know near retail rate bill credits for projects that are kind of small, what I call uh, small utility distributed generation. And what we will need to do as an as a uh, collective um, in that space is to provide more value to all stakeholders, not, not just ourselves and potentially our subscribers, but certainly to the community and to the utilities as well. And so I look at places like Hawaii, who have implemented kind of a time of day bill credit mechanism, certainly that will inspire more battery technology and in the wake um, help the utilities with their peak demand and so further aligning ourselves with with the utilities interests and then certainly other programs like solar for all in illinois where we are dedicating not just to stop at putting panels on the roof but um, helping to transform communities via workforce development and you know other creating more opportunities for under-resourced communities Um, so i think that community solar has has a role to play there and um, it's going to need to in, in order for us to continue uh, growing. It's an exciting time to be in this industry, man. And it's hard to keep up with even hobbies as an entrepreneur, right? It's hard to keep up with oh, all yeah. the things that you want to do. I know you got little ones running around. You've been writing a book while you had a newborn. Uh, that must be crazy. But as you well know, I think that books are some of our greatest teachers. I made a reference uh, back uh, a little bit ago to Zero to One, Peter Thiel's book that's been referenced by a ton of uh, entrepreneurs. I know that you, like I, believe that readers are leaders. I'd love to know what's on your nightstand. I'd also love to know what you uh, recommend or gift to others and why. 
What's on my nightstand right now is Essentialism um, and Mark Benioff's book, uh, Trailblazer, both of which I'm um, about halfway through. Uh, so posted. But um, the book that I, I recommend the most and give the most is Success Principles by Jack Canfield. It was such a mind shift for me to once I read that book that I felt like I, I would be doing an injustice if I just didn't tell everybody that I knew about it. And the way that it, it the the way that it makes you workshop basically your life and and understanding what's important to you, what you're skilled at and how to develop and, and hone those skills is is just incredible. And so I, that, that that is the one that I read the most. Um, other books I think that I've really liked over the last you know handful of years, creating climate wealth certainly as it relates to to our industry with with Jiggershaw. You know he's he's uh, obviously a very knowledgeable and influential person. Um, Shoe Dog, I, I love that book. Phil Knight, um, also very super influential. And then the other one as a leader I think is 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 good um, is Your Oxygen Mask First. Um, which just talks about healthy habits as a leader and, and understanding where and when you can let go. Your oxygen mask first. I don't know this one. It came out a couple of uh, years ago. It's a book by Kevin Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And 17 Habits, 17 Habits to Help High Achievers Survive and from Leadership in Life is kind of the subtitle. And um, it is, uh, it's all about letting go of, of, you know, control. Um, you can't control everything as a leader. You need to trust the people that um, are in your life in order for them to thrive. I imagine that you, in the process of entrepreneurship, had have had to work through a bunch of habit forming uh, activities because, in fact, you can't run a business and have a family and be in your thirties without coming up with something that looks like a morning routine or or some way to effectively run your meetings. Is there a habit or consistent practice that for you has given a lot of leverage and impact in your life? I have found great joy later in my life with distance running. And that is not the consistent practice that I will talk about, but um, certainly that is one thing. I mean, it cl- clears your mind. There's all sorts of benefits. The one though that I feel like is somewhat unique, I, I call it the twilight zone. So, you know, several days a week after the kids go to bed, I find that I'm pretty productive between the hours of like, call it 8.30 and 11. When, you know, normally you'd be watching a show anyway, kind of get myself set up for the next day and then covering that I might have missed during that work day. Um, So it's just about prep for, um, for that following day. And um, it allows me to sleep better because I know I'm kind of ready to go. I'll be ready to go when I, when I wake up and almost the antithesis of the, um, you know, the, the morning ritual. Is there a place that you direct people to, for how to reach out to you? How can they uh, connect with you? All of the kind of straightforward social media channels. So Twitter at Eric Posse, LinkedIn in slash Eric Posse, all one word. I've also um, got a website, ericpossi.com and then cleanwavebook.com is the website for the book. And you can go there if you're interested in, in learning mm-hmm. more and, be, and staying posted on the release. You can sign up there uh, pretty easily. Absolutely. Well, we're definitely interested in staying posted. So as I mentioned, he's going to be in our uh, career summit coming up uh, in a couple of weeks time. If you're still listening to this in August of 2020, if not, you should check it out in post because there'll be some really interesting stuff for you at mysuncast.com. The book is going to be forthcoming in September? 
Correct. Uh, September 17th. Ah, right on. September 17th. Well, we look forward to telling uh, the audience all about it when it does go live. But I would encourage you to go ahead, jump on Eric's uh, list and even pre-order it. Help out a, a fellow solar warrior. Pre-order that book. Let's give him a boost here and show him your gratitude for all the time, Eric, that you've put in here with us. Super, super glad to have you here. But let's end today as we always do. And as you know, with a bold prediction, what one thing do you see happening, Eric, that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? So I believe that by 2030, 80% of passenger vehicles sold in the US will be electric. By 2027, I think the rest of the world um, will, will be there ahead of, uh, of the US. I just think that we're at this tipping point right now, which will have all sorts of implications for vehicle to grid, energy, clean energy adoption, and urban planning. I'm super excited about it. I, I got my electric vehicle uh, a couple of years back and it's like the best thing that I've ever ridden in and anybody that ever takes a ride in one has a similar um, review. So that's my, yes, that's my, uh, that's my prediction. Today, we've had the extreme pleasure and honor to be graced with the presence of my friend and your fellow solar warrior, Eric Posse, Chief Development Officer of Impact Power Solutions and author of the forthcoming book, Clean Wave. You can find out more at cleanwavebook.com. Calm. Stoked to have you here on Suncast, brother. Thank you, man. Uh, it's, been, it's been an honor. Well, that was a fun trip with Eric Posse down memory lane about how his career has grown from early team member at a very much startup company to chief development officer and one of the fastest growing solar developer and installers in the Midwest. His journey is not unique but it is special. And I hope that you as well can take from that how you too can lift yourself up out of obscurity into importance in this energy transition, but also in your own career and career development. I hope that you glean renewed strength and insight and practical advice. And if you're just dipping your toes into the water here and, and testing Suncast, thank you. Thank you for making it through your first episode. If you're one of thousands who this is your hundred plus episode, uh, I thank you as well for giving us the one resource that we cannot give you back, and that is your time. It's non-renewable. I hope that by listening, we have multiplied your time in knowledge, and that knowledge you can apply to grow your career and your business. If you're interested in getting into clean energy, if you're interested in growing your career, you should join Eric and I at this upcoming Clean Energy Career Summit, which we're hosting September 1st and 2nd. Eric's going to speak about some of the things that are mentioned in his book, Clean Wave, uh, that he often guides folks through that process of helping get into the industry and find a job that is a good fit for you. I hope you'll join us there. You can go to events.mysuncast.com to learn more. And as always, if you're eager to keep learning, if you want to check out the links, uh, how to contact Eric, some of the things that we referenced in the story, you can find those resources and highlights and this and every other discussion, along with the social media links and book recommendations and more at mysuncast.com. You can go there to find a link to Eric's book, Clean Wave, also at cleanwave.com. While you're there, I hope that you'll take a couple of minutes and fill out our listener survey, especially those of you who are longtime listeners. We're really, really eager to hear how we can improve the show and to get your feedback on what we're doing right, what we can do better. And lastly, as I mentioned before, if you are a newbie to the industry, apart from joining us at our summit, you could also join our free Facebook group, the 
Energy Guild to network with hundreds of other clean energy professionals and get access to exclusive live trainings, mentorship, and guild-only guides and more. Hope that you'll join us there. Hope to see you soon. I hope to see you at our Suncast Career Summit. Until then, remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.